Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. heard about a lady that was Christmas shopping and um, she's got her her uh, toddler with her and her toddler is just freaking out. I mean, her toddler's screaming and crying and, you know, just losing her mind, throwing a temper tantrum. And the mom, surprisingly, has got it handled, you know, being calm, just saying, shh, Sarah, Sarah, shh. It's okay, Sarah. Relax, Sarah. You'll be okay. Shh. You know, calm down, calm down. And a lady that's observing this walks by and she just says to the mom, I I just want to take a minute and just compliment you. I can't believe how calm you're being, you know, with, you know, your daughter. She's just, you know, acting this way. You're you're just being so patient. I just wanted to let you know that that I, I noticed that. And then the observer leans down to the child that's throwing a temper tantrum and says, so Sarah, what is the problem? And the mom says, oh, that's not Sarah. That's Kelsey. I'm Sarah. (laughs) So how many of y'all know Christmas time can be stressful, can be stressful. There you go. Second Samuel chapter 23, verse one. These are the last words of David. The inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's song. These are the last words of David. I um, want you to kind of get a picture of what 2 Samuel 23 is, is beginning to tell us about. David is at the end of his life. He's on his deathbed. And the Bible says these are his last words. In his last words, he's expressing gratitude and affection towards his mighty warriors. And as he's beginning to explain to us, as he's in the last moments of his life, he's beginning to articulate how meaningful these men are to him. And he specifically mentions three men that were faithful and loyal to him as Saul and his army are chasing David, trying to kill David. There were three men that stuck specific or especially close to David. And he mentions Adonai, who the Bible says killed 800 men, just one man against 800. And he took them out with just a spear. He mentions Eleazar, who when the rest of Israel had fled, he stood his ground And one man fought off a countless number of men. And at the end of the battle, he alone stood victorious. And they come and they came and tried to take the sword out of his hand. And the Bible says his sword and his hand had become one. His hand had, he had fought so hard that his hand froze to his sword. He mentions Shammah who stood his ground and fought and risked his life for a bean patch, something small, something insignificant to others, but 
to Shama. He wasn't going to give up his harvest and his hard work and what God had given him uh, to the enemy. And these are the three mighty men that David on his deathbed specifically mentions. He doesn't just bring up the idea that they were fierce in battle and that they were loyal in general ways. He brings up a specific moment, a very particular experience that David had with them where they risked their life to give him a drink of water. Now, the Bible tells us in that same chapter, in verse 15, what happened. It says that David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well near the the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistines' lines. They drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. The Bible goes on to say, such were the exploits of these three mighty warriors. Now, many of you may not know the background, but David grew up in this, this small town of Bethlehem. Of course, now Bethlehem is famous around Christmas time for the Christmas story, but this is thousands of years before the Christmas story. And David grew up in the city of Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, it's still called to this day, uh, Bethlehem is the city of David. So David would know everything about this community. He would know everything about the town. He would know every secret passageway, every secret trail. He would know every hiding place in that town. He would play with his friends and other neighborhood kids. This is his childhood home. There's nothing about the city of Bethlehem David does not know about. As he began to grow up as a young boy, one of the things that his family would have him do, one of the chores would be he would take a bucket and go to the well that's there in the center of the city and he would draw out water and bring it back to his house. As he would play and and enjoy life in that town, occasionally they would be sweaty and tired and need a drink of water. And so they would go to that well there in the city of Bethlehem and they would get a cold drink of water. And so now David has been running for his life. Years have gone by and he is being chased by King Saul. He's hiding, he's tired, he's exhausted. And in this moment, He's remembering this town that he grew up in. He's homesick. And the place that he grew up in has been captured by the Philistines. And he's going back to simpler times. Going back to times that that weren't as complicated as his life is now. And he just has a fleeting thought. It's just a mention. It's, It's just... Off the top of his head. This is not an order he gives. This is not instructions that he gives. This is just an off the top of his head, just brief thought. David says, oh, that I could have a drink of water from my hometown well in Bethlehem. Again, it's just off the top of his head, he mentions it. And as he mentions it, those three mighty warriors hear what he says. And they come off to the side and they all three meet together and they say to one another, why don't we go ahead and go into Bethlehem 
this area that's been captured by the Philistines. Why don't we go there and get a drink of water or a glass of water from that well there in Bethlehem? And why don't we bring it back to David? They know that it's going to be risky. They know that the chances are that they won't survive. They know that they're going to put their life on the line. But yet they all three agree, let's do it. And we read the story. They break through the line of the Philistines. They break into the city of Bethlehem. They find their way to the center of the city where that well is. And they draw the water out and they get a cup of water. Then they escape the city. They get out. They're fighting their way out. And they make their way back to David as they've been running for their lives. They're tired. They're sweaty. Their armor has been nicked and dented. He can tell that they've been in a fight. And David says, what have you been doing? Where have you guys been? And they tell him that they went into Bethlehem, fought off the Philistine army, and they did it all to get him this glass of water. And David says, I didn't want you to do that. It was just, it was just a thought. It was just an idea. It was just, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. And I just was remembering how good those cold drinks of water were as a boy. I didn't expect you to go do all that. And they said, nonetheless, we did it. Here you go. Here's that drink of water. And David takes that glass of water and he pours it out as an offering to the Lord. It's important for you and I to consider that because here he is at the end of his life, on his deathbed, his last words, the thing that's on the forefront of his mind, all the experiences he's had, all the successes, all the battles, all the things that David has seen and done, the things that's on the forefront of his mind is this moment where these three mighty warriors go and risk their life for him to get a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. And the Bible says this was the exploit of these mighty warriors. That in the end, what David remembers most is those who sacrificed to give him a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. Now, I think it's interesting that David had no idea that we would be sitting here in December in 2018 and we would have heard the Christmas story many of us many times. We would know that Mary and Joseph went on a great journey. We would know that they sought refuge in the inn and there was no room. We would know that they ended up in a stable and there Mary gave birth to Jesus who we know is God's plan. It's the hope of the world and, and that Mary gave birth to the child, the baby Jesus, that it's the baby that's born in Bethlehem is the Christmas story. David had no idea that when he mentions that fleeting thought, that what he desires more than anything else would be a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. He had no idea that that was a prophetic moment. He had no idea that really that story and that experience was a foreshadow of the day that Mary and Joseph would come and give birth uh, 
And Mary would give birth to Jesus in that stable. He had no idea that, that the well that he desired to drink from was one that was dug with the hands of men. But that another well was going to come that's not dug by the hands of men, but would be born a divine, 100% God, 100% man. Child would be born and that that would be God's plan to quench the thirst for the whole world. He had no idea of that statement. All oh, that I could just have a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem would foreshadow the quench to the the thirst that all of us have in our heart. All of us are born with an unquenchable thirst that we have. All of us, no matter who you are, want to connect with your creator. We want to connect with the God who made us. And there's one way to bridge that gap. There's one way to thirst that quench. And that is through getting a drink of water from the well that we know is Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah said, therefore with joy you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. John 4 and verse 14 says, whoever drinks of the water I give him shall never thirst again, but the water I give will be a well springing up into everlasting life. In the book of Revelation, John wrote, that the spirit and the bride say to come. This is an invitation to every human being that's ever broke the womb of a woman. The invitation is come. Let him who is thirsty come. Whoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. David had no idea what he was talking about. He had no idea that we would be here in this moment. And he's at the end of his life He's on his his deathbed and he's remembering the moment where he just wanted a drink of water from Bethlehem. Now we know that David had many successes, had many pursuits, had many failures, many mistakes. There's a lot of things that David in that tired moment in his life could have reached out for. He could have said, for example, that, man, I remember when I took that slingshot And I knocked out Goliath. And I can remember the people shouting, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And and he could have said, man, I really wish I could go back to that moment and remember what it felt like to be celebrated and loved. He could have said, I wish I could go back to the palace. There he had all the comforts of royalty. He was wined and dined living in that royal place and all his financial needs met, just blessed and all that you could ever imagine. And that day and that time, David had access to, but he's not in this time saying, man, I wish I could get back to the palace. I wish I could get back to the king's table. David had a trophy wife in the king's daughter. And David's not saying, man, I just wish I could find my way back to the arms of Michael. I wish I could just have some time. with." That's not what David is longing for. When David is in his lowest moment, the one thing he desires above all else is not the wells of success, is not the wells of pleasure, is not the wells that many people would say you and I should be going after. The one thing that he desires is one drink from the well of Bethlehem. And I just felt like showing up this Sunday morning in this Christmas season and reminding you and I and those who are here that all the pursuits that you have in life, 
And I hope you have them. I hope you have dreams. I hope you have goals. I hope you do have some some desires in your heart, some things that you want to go after in life. I hope that you are still dreaming. I I hope that you still do believe for big things. I, I really do hope that you're still asking God to use your life and the time that you have here on this planet in a special way to make a significant difference in this world and in people's lives. I hope that you do. But can I remind you in all the pursuits of life, in the end, there's one thing that will satisfy above all things. You can search this world high and low. You can go after every imaginable thing, but in the end, you'll come up dry. You'll come up empty. There's still one thing that satisfies, and it is a drink of water from that well that was born in Bethlehem that we know is Jesus, and that's a well that will never run dry. If you don't believe me, go to John chapter four and look at the Samaritan woman. The Bible says that she's at the well of Jacob and she's having a conversation with Jesus. And the conversation kind of turns. She's seeking a lot of things to try to quench the thirst in her soul. She's had five husbands, Jesus says, and now she's on number six, but she hasn't married him yet. And Jesus looks at her and says, listen, I can give you something to drink that if you'll drink of me, you'll never thirst again. He says, no matter how many relationships you have, no matter how many men you try to draw on, no matter how many beds you lie in, you're going to end up empty every time. And he's looking at a woman who thinks that she can get that thirst quenched in the arms of another human being. And Jesus is clear with her, hey, listen, that well is not going to satisfy. That, that's not going to quench your thirst. You can go from relationship to relationship. You can go after every imaginable pleasure that, that this world says you need to go after, but you're still going to end up dry. And in one conversation, in one, through one encounter, Through one drink of water, in that moment, the Bible says she gets up and she goes back to the city and she tells everybody that's there that knows her history. She's got a reputation. They all know that she's been married time and time again. They all know that that she's, she's pursued relationship after relationship. And she says, but I'm done with that. Breaks up with the guy she's with. And she tells the whole town, come and see the guy who told me everything about my life. And what she's saying, come come and meet the one who could finally quench the thirst that I had in my soul, that no relationship, that nothing in this world could satisfy. But that guy, that man, and what was she talking about? She was talking about that well that was born in Bethlehem. She was talking about an encounter with Jesus and that satisfied the longing in her heart for a God connection. You see, we complicate Christianity. We think that we can drink from from so many different things and be satisfied. But we're all born with a homesick soul like David. We're all born with a longing to connect with our creator. And we can try to drink from sin and we can try to drink from the things of this world. But every time we'll come up 
empty. But if you'll just take a moment today and say, you know what, I've tried the things of this world. I've tried sin. I've tried the things that the enemies tempted me with. But I haven't given the well of Bethlehem a try. I haven't taken a drink from that. Can I tell you what one drink will do? It'll release forgiveness in your life. It'll renew all things. It will restore all things. Just one drink from that well that was born in Bethlehem can absolutely change your life and make your spirit come alive. Just one drink is all you need and God can change your life. David, at the end of his life, he remembers the three men that risked their life to give him that drink. The three warriors that sacrificed to give him that drink is the thing that David remembers the most in the last moments of his life. I want to remind this church that it does take sacrifice to bring people a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. You see, when I talk to this church, I don't look at myself. I don't look at this like I'm just talking to anybody. I look at this like I'm talking to mighty warriors. I look at this like I'm talking to people who know what it takes to go into the enemy's camp, knows what it's like to go in. You know, because whether we like to admit it or not, when we talk about things like what we want to do for our kids and sacrificing for our kids, and there's all kinds of Christians out there who don't like the fight. They don't like the battle. They don't like the idea of sacrifice. And what's so hilarious to me is right now Budweiser's behind the scenes coming up with a plan to go after your children. Right now, the drug dealers, they're sparing no expense with what they can do to find out how to get a needle in your kids' arms. The world has no, they'll pull no punches in Hollywood, no punches in the music that they write and the things that they do to target your child with a message that's ungodly and unholy. And then we come in here on a Sunday and we think that they can put all the sacrifice in and we can do nothing and reach a generation. That's not the way that it works. We got to make a decision. Are we warriors? Do we have the heart of God? Did we hear him say they need a drink of water and are we willing to go into the enemy's camp to get it for them? You know, if you go to D.C., there's something called the Arlington Cemetery. There's all kinds of things there. The grave of JFK, the grave of Audie Murphy, the most decorated soldier of World War II, the memorial for the astronauts that died in the space shuttle Challenger is there, male and female, every color of skin, over 300,000 graves are there. But the tomb that I think is the greatest, if there's one that stands out above every other, it's the tomb of the unknown soldier. It's carved out of 124 tons of the finest marble in America. There's an inscription that reads, Here rest in honor glory an American soldier known but to God. At that tomb, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, there is a soldier that's constantly standing guard. He paces 21 steps, pauses for 21 seconds, turns and paces 21 steps, pauses for 21 seconds, and he turns. And so this goes, never ends, it never stops. Rain or shine, no matter what the weather is, 
the honor guard is faithful to be there. One of the highest privileges you can receive is to be invited to guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. If you get invited to do that, you have to be willing to make the commitment to live in the barracks underneath the tomb for two years. When you decide to be a part of the honor guard, you make a lifelong commitment to never swear and never drink alcohol. For the first six months, you can't watch TV or have one conversation. Every time you have any time that's off duty, you have to spend that time studying 175 of the most notable men and women that are born or have died and are buried there in the Arlington Cemetery. Every guard spends five hours a day ironing their clothes, preparing their garments, getting everything right so that there's not one wrinkle, not one piece of linen, linen not one thread out of place, not one uh, piece of hair on their head is out of line. Everything is perfect. They spend five hours to get ready for service. One time there was a hurricane coming, Hurricane Isabel, and it was so violent that this is the first time the commander had given the orders to seek refuge, to, to get out of the, the risk and the danger of the storm. And the winds were violent. The debris that was flying around was, was deadly. Trees being uprooted all over the place. And the commander told the honor guard to find safety in the barracks of underneath the tomb. And they disobeyed the orders of their commander. And when they were asked why, they said, because our creed is never will I falter. And when you ask, why do they do this? Why do they make this kind of commitment? Why do they march like they do and sacrifice the way that they, they do? And they, the answer will be, they do it all to honor the sacrifices, the unknown sacrifices. Sometimes you don't have the names, you don't have the details, you don't have all of that, but they're there to honor the sacrifice. It takes sacrifice. You have to, it take, and David at the end of his life is saying, man, I remember. It wasn't something that I really thought was reasonable. It wasn't something I really thought made sense. But here were these three mighty warriors and their ear was sensitive to the things that were in my heart. And they were willing to sacrifice the way that they did. And they were brave and they used courage and they went against the grain and they risked their life all so that I could have a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. And I just felt like showing up today and reminding you that the Christmas story is still the same. The Christmas story has never changed. That the reason God sent his son into this world was that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that that sacrifice that Jesus gave is the greatest sacrifice of all. That he laid down his life so that you and I could receive forgiveness. And that sacrifice, we should be standing here today kind of like that honor guard saying we remember the sacrifice, we remember what you did and now what a small price to pay for us to make sure that that a generation is getting a drink of water from that well that was born in Bethlehem. And I want to say to every mighty warrior in this room, every person that fights, every person that sacrifices, every person that prays, every person that gives, I want to remind you that great 
are the actions of this church, the actions to reach a generation, the actions to reach people. Every single week almost around here, we're reaching thousands of children and young people, college students. You're in schools almost every single week. I think it's about 20 or 30,000 kids uh, every single week. You have the opportunity to speak life into them. I think about the backpack initiative. I think about Thanksgiving. Almost 10,000 people ate a meal for Thanksgiving because of your sacrifices. I think about Christmas. I think about so many different things and we could keep going and going and going, but I don't want you to be deceived. It takes sacrifice to get a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem and extend it into the hearts and the lives of people. Amen.